Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. As we go into our subject today, as you know, we've been going through Um, our series, Reformatory Movements of Destiny. And so as we're going into that, continuing that today, we're going to be continuing with part seven. We're trying to lay a serious groundwork here so that we can truly understand what we're looking at. And today we're going to go even deeper. And so I pray that you have... Uh, your pen and paper ready because we're going to go into a specific prophecy in the Bible that helps us lay more of a groundwork of what we touched on last week. If you remember, last week we touched on the reality that at the end of time, Jesus enters into his final work in the sanctuary in heaven. And we found out that that place that he enters into, he enters there to do a final work of judgment. A final work, not predominantly to forgive sin, even though he is doing that work right now. He is forgiving sin. But his main work right now is to finally blot sin out of existence. And so as we were looking at that, we realized it has to take place prior to his coming. Because anyone remember what he's giving out at his coming? He's giving out eternal life. Or for the wicked, yes, eternal damnation, right? And so we're realizing if, as Jesus said, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be, if he's rewarding men and women at his coming, that means there has to be an examination of the lives of men and women prior to his coming to determine who receives what reward. And so we're realizing there is a judgment, there is an examination that takes place prior to the coming of Jesus. Now, are we living in the time before the coming of Christ? Are we living in the last days? That means when is that examination transpiring? Right now. That's right. It's happening even as we speak. Jesus is doing his final work before he returns to this world. And what we're going to see, we saw that it's happening now, but what we're going to do in the following presentations is lay the groundwork for when this thing began. When did this judgment, this examination begin? And so today we're going to look at a prophecy that sets the stage for us to begin understanding when that judgment started. So does that make sense? All right. Praise the Lord. So let's have a word of prayer as we commence. Father in heaven, illuminate our minds as we continue to study your word. Give us wisdom and understanding as we cover these truths today. Guide us, and Lord, forgive me of my transgressions. Hold not my sins to my account, but Lord, use me as a conduit to explain your word. I pray and I ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, 
Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel, and we're going to chapter 8, and I'm going to lay some groundwork as we get into Daniel chapter 8. Now, Daniel chapter 1 through 6 is a collection of stories that, yes, have prophetic implications, but they are stories concerning Daniel's life and the life of his Hebrew friends, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, more commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So as we look at this today, we're realizing, okay, first six chapters, stories. They have spiritual truths in them, but they are stories. The last six chapters, however, are predominantly prophetic. And so as we look at one of those chapters, I'm going to lay the groundwork as we go into it. So we're in Daniel chapter 8, but I will start off in Daniel chapter 7 and just break that down. In Daniel chapter 7, we find a power that rises up, that God prophesies would rise up, and when it rises, this power is known as the little horn, the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. Now, it's interesting. When you look at the characteristics of this little horn, we already know who this little horn is. You remember when we touched on Jesus in the holy place of the sanctuary. He was on earth. We found out that the articles that he vindicated and protected while on earth was symbolized in the courtyard of the sanctuary. Does anyone remember what two articles were in the courtyard? Uh-uh. Labor of washing was one. That was a symbol of Jesus's baptism. And then we had what else? The altar of sacrifice. That's a symbol of Jesus's crucifixion, right? Now we go for Jesus. He arises from the dead. He rises from the dead. Forty days later, he ascends to heaven. When he ascends, he goes to which compartment of the sanctuary? The holy place, right? So he's in the holy place. Now, what three articles are there? Lampstand, showbread, altar of incense, right? So as we looked at these three articles, you remember we mentioned that there was a power that rose to attack those articles. Does anyone remember the power that rose to attack the articles for the space of time, times, or half a time, or 1,260 years. 42 months. Who was that power? <laughs> yeah, the papal system, right? The papacy, which we're going to see, as we're going to see now, has the same identifying characteristics as the little horn. I'm just going to mention three of them, okay? So as we go forth, there are three of them that I'll mention here. Let me make sure this is good. I think it's all right. Yeah, there it is. So three of them at least. There are nine major identifying characteristics of the little horn, but we're just going to mention three for the sake of time. So, and this can be found actually in Daniel 7, verses 21 and 25. One, it would make war with and persecute the saints. That was one. Did the papal system persecute the saints? Yes, in the Dark Ages. It would speak great words or blasphemy against God, right? Or blaspheme God. And you see that in Daniel 7 and verse 25 and also in Revelation 13, 5. The Bible says the same power speak great, speaks great things 
and blasphemies. Did the papal system, and we say this respectfully because God has his people scattered throughout every movement, but as it concerns the system, did this system speak blasphemy against the Son of God and against the Godhead? Yes. And then lastly, as we were referencing before, the way that we know this little horn can be an individual, but it must be a system, is that how long does it reign? 1,260 years. Does anyone know? Uh, this is a trick question for you guys. You guys may get it. Who was the longest, who was the man, how should I ask this question? Who was the man in the Bible that lived the longest? Yes. Okay, okay, I'll just ask it that way. So Methuselah died at what age? Does anyone know? 969, that's it. 969 years old and he died. That's not even, that's not near to this, right? It's getting there. But this is how we know that we're dealing with a system. Time, times, and half a time is a symbol of the same thing as 1,260 years or 42 prophetic months. So we're talking about a power that reigns for over a millennium. Therefore, we know that this is talking about a system. No man has ever lived that long. What's that? Oh, yeah, no man has ever reached over a 1,000 years, right? So as we're looking at this, we're realizing, whoa, okay, so the little horn and the description of the papal system that we saw and how long it ruled, it fits. It's the same power. So the little horn is the same as the papal system, right? It is the papal system. So as we look at this, this sets the stage for Daniel chapter 8. So you're with me in Daniel chapter 8, and let's check out now verses 13 and 14. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. And one of the things that we're going to see here as we look at this is this major truth. And let me see if I can bring this up one second here. Let's see if I can bring it up. Oh, actually, I can go, Brother Eric, is this okay? That's okay, okay. So I'll read it from here. So in number one, Daniel was told that this little horn would defile the sanctuary. So the question that we're looking to ask now is when will the little horn's tyranny end and Jesus' application of his sacrifice in the holy place cease? Because you remember, after Jesus Christ arose, where did he go? What's part of the sanctuary? The holy place, all right? So the question is, you remember, the little horn we said reigned for how long? 1,260 years. Does anyone know when that ended? That's right. We touched on it a little bit before. The little horn's power was interrupted, the papal system's power was interrupted in 1798 when Napoleon sent in his general Berthier to take the head of the church at that time captive. But, of course, the papal system can raise up a new, a new leading figure. That wasn't the major issue. The major issue was the most ardent supporter of the papal system at that time, France, turned 
on the papal system, right? Under the leadership or under the generalship of Napoleon. The reason that that is significant is because what it's telling us is that the papal system lost its hold of the civil power at that time. So therefore, no longer could it enforce its decrees and doctrines upon the people because it did not have the support of the civil power. All right? So as we look at this now, we're realizing, okay, 1798, that's when the papacy's reign was interrupted. By the way, friends, that reign will begin again. It's coming again. But that's another sermon, <laughs> all right? So right after it ends in 1798, there's another thing to happen, and that is, listen to what it says here. So we're in Daniel chapter 8, and we're looking at verse 13. When you're there, say amen. Okay, so it says, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily? You guys have sacrificed. How many of you guys have sacrificed in your Bible italicized? It's italicized, right? That means it's not in the original. So really it reads, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host, that's the people of God, to be trodden underfoot. In other words, how long will the daily work that Jesus is doing in this sanctuary, in the holy place, along with the allowance of the papacy to persecute God's people, how long will that be? And so this is what is stated here. Or until when will it be? So we, we have to have a date. What we're looking for is a time period when the papacy's dominance over God's people ends, and we found out what year was that? 1798, and we're looking for a time where Jesus ends the application of his sacrifice. That's why it says the daily sacrifice. Ends that sacrifice in the holy place. So we have one date already. Papacy's reign ends, 1798. We have one date already. But we need another part. When does Jesus' work, his application of his sacrifice, end in the holy place? And we have the beginning of the answer in verse 14. Who can read verse 14 for us? He said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Okay. So there's coming a time where the Bible says unto 2,300 days, and you remember we found out, is this by any chance a prophecy? Sure, one of the things it says, and he said unto me unto 2,300 days, then shall. So this is future. So it's prophetic in nature. Now you remember, friends, we said that in Bible prophecy, a day represents a uh, a year. That's right, right? A day in, the Bi in Bible prophecy represents a year. Two texts we gave for that was Ezekiel 4.6 and Numbers 14.34. A day in prophecy represents a year. So if I said 
There is coming a time when I will go over to the end of this church, right to the entrance, and I will stand there prophetically for two days. How long am I really saying I'll stand there? Two years. If I say I'm going to stand there for 10 days, how long am I saying I'll really stand there? 10 years. If I said I was going to stand there for 2,300 days, how long is that? 2,300 years, right? So therefore, when it says, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, he's meaning 2,300 years. At that end point, at the end of this time, what will happen to the sanctuary? It will be cleaned up. Because you remember last week we found out where are our sins as we confess them? Where are they being transferred to? Yes, they're going up there into the heavenly sanctuary. That's where they're going. So that means even the sanctuary of heaven, there has to come a point where that sanctuary is cleansed. So it's not just the forgiveness of sin. It's the final blotting out, the obliteration of it in heaven above. But it's good news. If our sins are confessed and they're up there, that's good news. All right? So... We need a starting date. We need a starting date to help us to get to the ending date so we can understand when this thing begins and when it ends. Because once we get to the point where it ends, what begins? What begins is the cleansing of the sanctuary. So friends, this thing is crucial. So let's keep going, all right? Okay, so our next question is this. So we, we just read the verse, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Another way of saying that is, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 years, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, the second question we want to ask is, how did Daniel respond when he saw this little horn persecute God's people and obscure the truth? All right, this is how he responded. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 27 says, and, da and I, Daniel, he fainted, right? And was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision. But how many understood it? None. So he, the, he was told the length, but he had no understanding of it. When does this thing begin, or when does it end? And so, friends, for years, he was trying to understand this. And you know, this is the practical lesson that it teaches us. There are times when something happens in our lives where truths come, where things, God tells us something, as he did Daniel in this chapter. In chapter 8, he told him a length of time, but he doesn't even understand. Have you ever had times in your life where God told you something or commanded you to do something or something happened and because you did not necessarily understand why, it began to shake your experience, your Christian experience. What this is telling us here, we know, did Daniel, even after not understanding, even after fainting, even after becoming sick, did he let go his hold of God? No. What does that tell us? It tells us that there are times in life where even if we don't understand certain things that God states, 
doesn't mean that we should give up on him. My great-grandmother, I was told, she used to say something to me. My grandma tells it to me all the time. She said, Akeem, where you cannot, tr- where, where you cannot trace God's hand, you must trust his heart. One of the things that we do know is that even if we don't understand everything that God requires, we do know his heart is for us. That much we can be sure of. Therefore, regardless of what we understand or we do not understand, we know this one thing, that we can trust him. We know that. And that, God says, until he sees fit that there comes a time where we can understand what we don't right now, that is something that we can hold on to. Our Father loves us. He cares for us. So, Daniel knew this. <laughs> he knew, hey, Daniel 1 through 6, I've been through all of this with God. How can I not trust him? Even though I don't understand, I know this is something for our good, and I'm going to trust. So he held on, and years later, we're told that there came a point where the answer came. All right? So in Daniel 9, the angel explains the prophecy by giving more details. So Gabriel comes, Daniel chapter 8, he says, unto 2,300 days, but I don't have a starting or end date. God says, don't worry, just hold on to me. And a few years later, Gabriel comes back while Daniel is praying for himself and his people, confessing his sins. The angel Gabriel, and you remember, does anyone know where Gabriel is, where his location is? In heaven, that's true. Do you remember when Gabriel showed up to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah? He told Zechariah, yes, he told him, I am Gabriel. When Zechariah wouldn't believe, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So Gabriel came from the very presence of God. And I timed it. I was actually reading Daniel's prayer, and it takes about three minutes. From the throne of God all the way to Daniel's side, three minutes. (laughs) Friends, what's that? Faster than the speed of light. That's 186 miles per second. That's fast, guys. That's like almost like the speed of thought probably he's going at, right? This is like serious stuff. So he comes, and he comes beside Daniel, and he comes to explain more truth. All right? So this is what happens here. So Daniel chapter 9, he comes to explain. Now look at what happens. So the question is, how long was the time period that was not previously mentioned in the vision? So we don't have a starting date or an end date. So we at least need a starting date. And there's a prophecy that we're going to look at now that gives us a starting date. So it says in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. And if you are there, just say amen. You guys can see it on the screen as well. But this is Daniel 9 and verse 24. This prophecy gives us the beginning, the starting date of the 2300 days. So by the end of this presentation today, we're going to have the beginning date of this time prophecy. Of the 2300 days or year. So it says here in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks are what? 
determined upon your people, that's Daniel's people. Who are Daniel's people? Israel, the Jewish nation. And upon your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of what? Sins. To make reconciliation for what? In other words, their iniquity, if, they, if there was reconciliation needed, that iniquity then did what to them? It separated them from God. And to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All right? So as we're looking at this now, we're realizing something. How long is determined for the Jews? 70 weeks. Does anyone know how we arrive at how many days are in 70 weeks? What must we do? We must take 70 and multiply it by 7. That's right. And we get 490 days. But guys, is this a prophecy? That's right, right? So that means it's 490 what? Years. So the angel Gabriel is saying to Daniel, Daniel, 490 years are allotted to your people, are cut off. The word determined there literally means to be cut off. Cut off from what? What do you think it's cut off from? It's cut off from the very larger prophecy of the previous chapter. So the previous chapter told us 2,300 days. Hey, I don't have a starting date. Gabriel says, hey, this first prophecy that I'm giving you is cut off from the larger 2,300-year prophecy. So therefore, the first part of this 2,300-year prophecy, the first 490 years of it is for the Jews to end sin in their lives. So we're not the only generation that's being called to do away with sin. Even Daniel's people were called to live a holy life absent of sin itself. So as we look at this now, we're seeing, whoa, it was cut off. So now we're trying to understand, okay, so when does this thing start? Verse 25, all right? So now we're going forward, and the question is, what was the starting point of the 70 weeks and, the 20, and therefore, the 2300-day time period or time prophecy. Because once we get the starting date for one, we get the starting date for the other, right? So what was the starting point? So let's look at this. It says in verse 25, Know therefore, Daniel, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to do what? Restore and build Jerusalem unto or all the way to the Messiah, the Prince. Who's the Messiah, the Prince? Jesus Christ shall be what? Seven weeks. That's seven times seven, which is how many years? Not 409. 49, right? So seven, seven is 49. So 49 years. And then 62 weeks. 62 multiplied by 7. Anyone knows? <laughs> you guys didn't know we were going to do math today. But by God's grace, we'll get through it. Anyone knows? 62 multiplied by 7 is 434. All right? 
Brother Russell, can you vindicate me on that? I see you checking. Amen, amen. All right, all right. Praise the Lord. Okay? So we're going to take 62 and we add 7, right? Because that's what we have in the verse here. 62 weeks and 7 weeks. If we add these two, how many weeks do we have? 69. Great. Okay. So we have 69 weeks. So 69 multiplied by 7 is how much? 483. That's right. Now, before we move forward, what we realize is that the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in the Bible is actually found in the decree given in Ezra chapter 7 all the way to the end of the chapter. God's people were given back autonomy over themselves because they lost it in the Babylonian captivity. And so God now gives it back to them. They're allowed to get it back because of a decree by a Persian king whose name was Artaxerxes Longiminus. So he gives the decree. And so all we got to do now is just ask ourselves, when did Artaxerxes give that decree? And historically, friends, the decree was given in 457 B.C. So what do we have a starting date for now? The 70 weeks and the 2300 years. We have a starting date. So therefore, our next question is this. The angel said, if you count 69 weeks from 457, you would come to who? Jesus Christ. So the question is, did this happen? So now what we're going to see, I put together a little chart for us, a little workout for us. And so what I did was, you remember, when you're counting in B.C., you're going down, right? So 457, 456, 455, you're going, it's almost like you're going backward. So 457 B.C., and you add 483 years to that, right? What year do you come to? Now remember, once you transition from B.C. to A.D., there is no zero year. So you have to add one year. Once you add that year, you come to 27 A.D. Now, I want you to look, look at this with me. This is so powerful. The prophecy is clear. Hold your Bibles with, hold your Bibles with me in Daniel chapter 9, but go with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3. And when you're there, say amen. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse, verse 1. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, we're setting the stage here for something very powerful. So 27 AD. Did anything happen in 27 AD? All right? 27 AD. So we're looking for this here. Amen? All right. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now in the 15th year... Of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, and Ananias, this is in the political world, now what's going on in the religious, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, 
The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, does anyone want to take a guess as to what year historically was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar? 27 A.D. Friends, that was the same year. Skip down. How old was Jesus at this time? Skip down to verse 21 of Luke 3. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that same year that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him and the voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about how old? 30 years old. You see that? The Bible prophecy is certain. So in other words, 480, 483 years after 457 B.C., we get down to 27 A.D. In that very year, Jesus of Nazareth is anointed by the Holy Ghost to commence his public ministry. Friends, God is so precise. This is one of the things that won me, actually, when I was becoming, really beginning to study the Bible and become a serious Christian. It is the precision of this prophecy that truly helped me to establish my faith in the Word. All right? Now, a few more questions and we will, we will end for today. What was, the what was to take place in next in the prophecy? It tells us in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, and after the three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be what? Cut off. What does that mean? Jesus would be? That's right. He would be crucified, but not for himself. Who did he die for? Us. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for how long? One week. That's how many years? One week is seven days, which is seven years. All right? So check this out. It says, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now we'll come back. It says, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Remember, when Jesus died, all of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament ended. Because in him, we find the Lamb of God. The ultimate sacrifice. Friends, this is why respectfully, respectfully I say this with the utmost respect. When people seek to take the feast days of the Old Testament and try to practice those feast days today, friends, they missed the point of the shadow to which it pointed it pointed to the Lamb of God. And so there are no more, there's no, if you want to do it in, in, to experience what it was like, that's one thing. But if you are doing it for salvific purposes, God says, no, this is not the way it was ever meant to be. And especially after the cross of Calvary. For with him, what ceased? He caused the sacrifice and the oblation, that is the evening offering, to cease itself, right? So as we look at this now, we're going to find out something. So you're with me in Daniel, right? I want you to see this, and this is how it would look. 
So we have the beginning date. What's the beginning date? 457 B.C. 69 weeks or 483 literal years later would bring us to what date? 27 A.D. Now, is the prophecy, is it done? No. We, the prophecy was 490 years. That means if we're saying it's 69 weeks, you remember it was originally 70 weeks. So how, how many more weeks do we need? If it's 69 weeks and the prophecy is 70 weeks, we need one more week. So we have seven more years there. One week, which equals to seven years. Now look at what happens in the midst of that week. What do we see there? A symbol of the crucifixion. Christ was crucified. This is what it actually tells us. You're in Daniel with me. And we're going to look at it again. Daniel chapter 9. This is what it says there in Daniel chapter 9. And it says here in verse 7. Verse 27, sorry. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 says, And he, Jesus, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, what happens? He shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And how did he do that? By his death. That's right. So in the midst of the week, you see a symbol of the cross. Because why? At 31 AD, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified. Therefore, putting an end to the sacrificial system. No more need to sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls and calves. God did not even, Paul tells us that God didn't even delight in that. He had it for a time to point us forward to the coming Savior. Right? So as we look at this, we have how many more weeks left? We have half a week left, three and a half more years, which brings us to 34 AD. In 34 AD, you can read it when you get time in the book of Acts, we have the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, one of the great deacons of the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the message of salvation to the Jews, as he was doing this, they hated the message that he was giving. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, that they stopped their ears from hearing his words and they took him out and stoned him to death. So friends, at that moment, you remember, while Stephen is being stoned, he looks up, the heavens are open, and what does Stephen see? Christ standing at the right hand of God. In other words, what's happening there, whenever you see Jesus standing up, friends, it's a symbol of judgment. In other words, the 490-year prophecy had come to an end. God was now saying, the Jewish nation that I called to repentance, I gave them hundreds of years, 490 to be exact. <laughs> you remember Jesus himself even said, how much shall you forgive your enemy? 70 times 7. 70 times 7 is what? 490 years. <laughs> He was telling his own people, time is almost up. We are at the last week. Hence, in Mark 1.15, it says, Jesus arose. And when he, not arose, but when he started his ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled. Referring to this very prophecy. 
And so as he says this now, timing of Stephen comes, and God takes the message that was to be given by Israel, literal Israel, and he gives it to the Gentiles. That's why John the Baptist says he warned them. He himself may not have even understood what he was saying, but he told them the axe is laid to the root of the tree. In the Bible, a tree represents a nation. What John was saying is, guys, there is coming a time where God will move beyond you and he will go to the Gentiles himself. Not by coincidence, when Stephen was being stoned, does anyone remember who was right there? Yes, approving of his death. Saul of Tarsus. And Saul became Paul, an apostle to the? The Gentiles. God was preparing the way. Hence, this is what I want to say to us today. We're going to see this here as we, as we start, as we wrap up. Jesus told his disciples to present, to preach first to which group of people? The Jews. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is not favoritism. They had the oracles. If they can get its true purpose, it would be powerful. So God, Christ said, go to them first. They have the foundation. But when it was rejected, a different story was set up. What warning did Jesus give to his chosen people? Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be what? Taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. So he's telling them, I'm about to give this to the Gentiles. He's warning them, and they never heeded the warning. What is the other nation spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 21, 43, which would become his chosen people? Now look at this. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. This is powerful. When we understand this, our whole view of Bible prophecy will change, as mine did. For he is not a Jew, Paul says, which is one outwardly, but a Jew which is one how? Inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. What am I saying, friends? What I'm trying to say to us here is that when it comes to Israel today, the Israel that God approves of, God's chosen people, who does Paul say is God's chosen people. How are we chosen? A true Jew is one who is circumcised where? In the heart. So respectfully I say, Israel today, as God counts an Israelite, is not in the Middle East. Israel today is those who are circumcised in heart. Paul said, said it this way in Galatians. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means then, <laughs> Israel now, anyone who accepts Jesus as their sole Lord and Savior is Israel. That means, friends, you and I are Israelites. 
We are God's Israel today. Israel is no longer geographical. It's no longer geographical. From the, Old, from the New Testament onward, it changes. Israel now is worldwide. We are grafted in. God has counted us. If we truly believe in Jesus, he says, we are now Israelites. My prayer today is I hope we were able to understand this. So we have the beginning date. We have the beginning date of the 2300-year prophecy and even the beginning and ending date of the time allotted to the Jews to repent. And we understand that that beginning date was 457 B.C. Now, friends, you don't want to miss our next part when we come to study the ending part of this prophecy. Because by the end, 2,300 years later, we have a starting date. 2,300 years later, the same. What's that? We have an ending date. <laughs> so stay tuned. Two weeks. Don't miss it in two weeks. I mean, don't miss any Sabbath, but two weeks we're going to continue, all right? Amen. Is this understandable? Does this make sense? Amen. All right, praise the Lord. So with that, by God's grace, let's have a word of prayer as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us wisdom and understanding as it concerns these truths of your word. Lord, we covered much today. But I pray, O oh Lord, that it made sense to our minds. And as we go over it, that, Lord, we will be established in these truths. Thank you so much for the precision of your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.